0: Welcome to New Life Miami. And thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are love. So we're gonna do the word first today. Amen. <laughs> we're gonna do the word first today. I think it's good that we change things up, and uh, and then we're gonna do, we're gonna worship a little bit after. We're gonna really worship, and I think that uh, that's I think you guys will be more prepared, maybe. I was on vacation for the last two messages, so the the messages that Regal preached, I actually wasn't here for. Uh, the last two messages he preached. The first one I was on vacation, uh, not the first one, but two weeks ago I was on vacation, and I didn't get to hear that word. And then last week. My my daughter decided uh, that I was driving too fast in the car, so she threw up all over the, the back seat. And so I had to actually go, while the message was happening after worship, I had to actually go and wash the car seat. I was in the laundromat the whole time while worship was going on, so I didn't get to hear that either. So um, I actually finished this message uh, this week. And then after I finished the message, I actually heard Regal's preaching, the messages that, that he gave. And this message is like a natural I think a natural continuation of the message that Rico was sharing. We just finished that whole stretched series, but I don't think we're just done yet. I really don't think we're really done. Uh, God has a lot more to say. And it's not just about being stretched, but it's now coming into our worship. And I think God wants to stretch, up, stretch us a little bit more in worship. Amen? So... I think pl- playing instruments and, and playing music here, is, it's important. And worshiping, and when we come together, it's very important. Actually, it's, what it's, it's probably the most important thing as we come, because in, in heaven, we're going to be doing that. But that being said, I want to say that playing instruments and coming and clapping our hands, it's not the least important. It's not inferior. But I, I believe that it's the last successive element. Catch me, guys. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. It's the last successive element of worship. I want you guys to understand this. There's other things that I, I believe God wants to put in place before we come together as a body to come worship. Um, throughout the Bible, we see that apostles, men and women of God, how they worship God in the midst of trials, in the midst of the hardest circumstances— they were able to honor God um, in ways that went beyond just singing, okay? And, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. The power of worship was expressed throughout the Bible in different ways. And it was in the Old and New Testament. You'll find it everywhere. These people didn't worship because they overcame. And I, and I want to show you that. They overcame because of their worship, amen? They didn't lift their hands for an answered prayer, they lifted their hands because they knew that the prayer they were asking for was going to be answered. You guys get this? They couldn't see that when they entered the fire that they weren't going to be burned. They couldn't see that. What happened is that they believed that God could actually deliver them from a fire that they were going to be lit- delivered to. Guys, they, they knew that God was big enough That's what they knew. Not that they were hoping for. It's something they knew. These are just a couple of examples. And this, like I said, you'll find throughout the Bible of what worship was. I want to take you guys real quick to 2 Corinthians 11. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's get into this. 2 Corinthians 11. I I still do the old school. I like flipping pages. I like to hear flipping pages. So if you, (laughs) I know the electronic, I do that too. I, I use my... My phone and all that stuff. But when I'm up here for some reason, I like to flip the page. Everybody here ready to hear a a word about worship? Are you guys here ready to hear a word about worship? I I don't believe it. Are you guys ready to hear a word about worship? Because I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to tell you something. You guys are not going to like some of the things you hear. I'm going to promise you that. But if you're ready... For something else, if you don't just want to do the church thing, then I think you're going to be ready. Second Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. All right. Man, this is loud. Am I too loud? All right. Uh, it says here, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in deep. I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. <laughs> this is overwhelming. This is Paul talking. He's saying that he, this, he's been through it all. There's nothing that he, there's no difficulty that he hasn't been through. But he goes on to say that that throughout his infirmities. Through all the things he went through, he took pleasure. I want to tell you something. I haven't gotten there yet. I I don't know. If you've gotten there, praise God. I, I think you could. I think we could get there. I'm in the process of getting there, but I haven't, I definitely haven't gotten there yet. In his infirmities, he was able to take pleasure. That goes beyond what I can comprehend right now. And then he goes on to say, for when I am weak, he is strong, right? His trust in the Lord. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about worship. You know, he wasn't just a broken symbol. He was a broken symbol that made a beautiful noise. Come on. He was a broken symbol that made a beautiful noise. He was broken. That guy was in prison. That guy was beat. Not just Paul. I'm not talking just talking about Paul. I'm talking about the people that, we, that God has given us for us to actually read, that we see, we have it before our eyes, time and time again, proven that when we worship God, and that's what we're going to talk about, when we worship God. We can be blessed. We can, be, we can take pleasure in the midst of any situation. I want you to pull the, the diagram of the tabernacle. Regal spoke about the living um, as, uh, that we were living sacrifices and that we were to live on the altar, right? That was the last message. You guys remember that? That we were to live on the altar as we give our sacrifices of faith. Yeah, thank you. Our, uh, our sacrifices of faith, faith for his glory. So we were to live on the altar. Uh, I want to build on this a little bit more. Okay, where's the altar? You guys see the altar? The altar is not the big building. The altar is the little thing right there. It's not small, but, it, you know, it was an altar they built for sacrifices and offerings. Now, you, you notice one thing, and it struck, it struck me. Uh, sometimes, well, I'm not even going to go there. Where's the the, the the altar is outside of the of the tabernacle. It's outside of the temple. Well, this is the whole thing, right? This is the whole tabernacle and all that stuff. But it's outside of the holy and the holy of holies. The altar is outside. Wouldn't it be more convenient? Wouldn't it be easier if it was inside? I mean, if we brought our sacrifices and we can be in the presence of God while we sacrifice, wouldn't that be easier? No, dude. No, wait. So... God said, wait, hold on a second. Hold on. I know I'm, I'm a little bit, maybe I'll get a little ghetto. I'm sorry. I'm not ghetto. I never I always say that, but maybe I'll use weird words. The altar, it's outside. Sometimes our sacrifices, they aren't, they aren't pleasing to God. Isn't that true? Sometimes our lives aren't pleasing to God. Is it it could happen, right? Sometimes the people of God, when they brought their sacrifices, if they weren't pure, If they weren't set apart, if they weren't their best, they may not be acceptable to God. Actually, they weren't. Guys, that's, God put the altar outside of the, the actual tent of meeting. Because if we brought something illegal, if we brought something that didn't worship God, that wasn't wholly separated, that'd be dangerous. So he was actually merciful enough to bring the altar outside of the tabernacle. Because if you brought it inside and you weren't ready for that, that wouldn't be a good thing for us. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that later. So when we're, when we're in worship, when we're in worship, we want to give something really bad. Hmm. God's been doing something in my life right now. God's been moving me. He's been flipping me inside out. I've, I've said this before. God has been moving me in worship for the last, actually more than a month, last couple of months. Something I've seen has changed in my life, and it's the only reason I'm up here talking to you today. I didn't, when I really started understanding what God wanted in worship, I started acting different. So you guys may have seen me up here worshiping and, you know, playing music, but what's gone on in my life is different. When I've, when I've really started getting into worship... I started finding something. I had a thirst in me. And it's, what, it's kind of what Regal was talking about. I didn't want to just go home anymore. I didn't want to just play up here, say hi to a, a bunch of people that I really don't really know that well, and then just leave. I didn't want to do that. All of a sudden, when worship started stirring in my heart, I actually wanted to actually talk to people. I wanted to reach out to somebody. I wanted somebody to see something that was going on inside of me. I was I was nervous. I was antsy. I had something that was stirring on that was going inside of me that I needed to get out. It, it just overtook me. So what did I started doing? I started calling people. I started, hey, hey, what's up, man? It's Tito. Hey, how you doing, man? No, good. You know, hey, let's talk. Let's get together. Hey, let's meet over here. Let's let's eat together, bro. Let's do life together. Something that Regal said before. Let's do life together. Before I wasn't like that. I was like, no, dude. I when I come here, I like to hang out with you guys. I'll talk to you, but I just want to go home and relax. I just want to go home, watch my TV. I want to have a long week ahead of me. Come on, haven't we said that before? But when worship starts stirring us up, you start wanting to to give others what's going on inside of you. It's the beginning of of worship. The altar. When we come to the Lord, something in us has to die. When we're going to come to the Lord, something that's going on in our lives has to change. It can't be the same. If God is real, if God really is moving in your heart right now, then something in you is dying every time you come and you raise your hands up to the Lord. Otherwise, it's an impure sacrifice. Otherwise, you're just raising your hands. Otherwise, we're just raising our hands. So God, God came and he, and he created worship and he, and he made it to be inconvenient for us. Why inconvenient? Because when you worship, God asks you what you have to give. What do you have to give today? What do I have to give today, man? Sometimes I'm, I'm so empty that I have nothing to give. So how, how is it that God would make it so inconvenient for me? Why isn't God good? Isn't God so merciful that he would actually want me to just be able to come in and rest, right? Isn't that the idea that we have when we come to worship? I want to be, be in rest and before the Lord. I want to, to give me that presence that I need so I can relax. The problem is that when you're in worship, you're not coming, like Rigo said, we're not coming to necessarily rest to receive something that we're not doing the rest of the week. We're actually coming because we're in worship. Because we've provided a sacrifice and we're actually giving something to God already. That we're here, that we're something stirring inside of us already that when we come here as a body, we can actually give it up to God. Jesus isn't preoccupied with trying to keep you guys, trying to not embarrass you. Let me give you an example. We talked about he he makes worship inconvenient, right? He's He's not trying to keep you from embarrassment. By resolving your sin in secret, guys. He's not trying to resolve your sin in secret because sometimes when nobody knows your sin, you don't have to worry about how to maintain your integrity. You're too worried. Sometimes we're too worried about maintaining integrity. Right here. Yeah? We we don't want it to come out because that way nobody knows. But God doesn't want that. He's not worried about that. How do I know? Okay, let's go. Let's go. He's not trying to keep you from the crowds. He's not trying to keep you from the crowds. Luke eight forty three through 44. Let's go there. Luke eight forty three 43 through 44. I want to say something. I, I actually, I know that it's quiet in here because I know you guys are really starting to dig in. I, I, I'm not scared of the quietness. If you guys want to praise God and shout amen, but I think this is, amen, amen. The reason I know, it could be quiet in here is because this is a, this is a tough word to hear, but this is, this is not going to be something that you just have to feel down about or, or put your head down about. This is something that's going to lift you up, guys. Luke eight forty three through 44. Let's go there real quick. Eight, Luke 8, 43 through 44, it says this. Now a woman have, having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed in, by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't trying to look for some, somebody who, who was actually crawling on the floor to try to reach him. Jesus was moving. He wasn't concerned with who, who, who actually uh, looks so down that I have to go to. Jesus was walking, and the person who wanted to worship God, that didn't even know God, but something inside him was stirred up, came and touched his garment, went and crawled in the midst of, let me, let me go before that. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. It was people surrounding him, all over him. He was mobbed. But worship had somebody crawl on the floor to reach him. He's not concerned with trying to stop stop you from doing that. He's not concerned with trying to keep you from the crowds. He's not trying to resolve your sin in secret. He's hoping you'd be willing to break through a roof just to see him. Who was that? The crippled man, Remember? the crippled man that, tried, that reached God, wouldn't that be embarrassing? No, I don't want everybody to see me this way. No, the man said, you know what? I don't care. Let's go through the roof. He's not trying to keep you hidden. He's waiting for you to cry out before some religious Pharisees in a house and wipe his feet with your tears. That's what he's trying to do. Why? Because that creates worship. He's not trying to hide you. Why? Why is he doing that? Because he wants to humiliate us? Is God there just to humiliate us? No, absolutely not. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is hoping that you fall in love with him more than you fall in love with your own pride. Come on. Jesus is hoping that you fall in love with him more than your own pride. Isn't that the hardest thing for us? Humility. Sometimes we, we won't be able to go to our own wives and our own spouses, our own husbands, and say, I'm sorry. But you know what we do? Instead, we give it to God and say, God, I forgive me for what I told my wife. For this, yeah. You know who's talking to you right now? Somebody that's, somebody that's living it. Okay? It's hard for me to go to my wife. Not now. Not now. I, I'm standing here today because it's not. It's hard for me to go to my wife and say, I apologize. But it's easy for me to go to God. Why? Because we're doing it in secret. We're doing it in secret, guys. We're not worshiping God worshiping God isn't just coming to God God wants you to stand out we're trying to stand out when we worship God is asking what do you got to give me are you willing to go through the crowds do you want to crawl is it that good or is your pride better God is asking you what do you have in Psalms 50 there I want to go Psalms 50 let's move there Who's, who's this really hitting right now? I want to hear an amen. Who are you, are you getting hit right now? Because I'm getting, I was blown away by this word. I was on my face every day. God calls those who are of covenant by sacrifice, Psalms 50. I want to go from verse 8 through verse 13. God was, in in Psalms 50, it's, it's a It's a psalm of a a judgment, of righteous judgment. God was actually coming with judgment upon his people. And it says on verse 18, I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts of uh, of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. I would Let me read it the way it says. It. I would not tell you for the word is mine and its its fullness. I will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? What? God right there is telling the people, I don't care what you have to give me. What you have to give me is no good. What? Anything that I give so Wait a second. Didn't we just say when we were talking before That we are to give our lives and live our lives on the, on the, on the sacrifice, you know, on sacrifice, on the altar, giving in faith, something that's holy, glorifying God through that. Wait, this is turning me around though. This is saying, dude, all the things you offered me, I don't care about that. I can offer it to myself. If I needed something to please me, I can do it myself. I don't need you to please me. Woo. Whoa. Whoa. He doesn't want my sacrifice if my sacrifice isn't from him. And I'm going to get into that right now. So some of you think, thinking, dude, Tito, Tito, you've lost your mind. So we say that he wants our sacrifice, but now you're saying his, our sacrifice isn't any good. Mm. How many times have we offered up illegitimate sacrifices? What, what is our, you know, I, I heard a, a word one time about uh, the Israel and, you know, their... Uh, what they, what they used to do, kind of uh, their propensities were come to the Lord, right? Ask for forgiveness, offer their sacrifices, and God delivers them, right? From an enemy that they have, and then what happens? They go back to it, right? After, after God blessed them, they're like, oh, we feel good. Thank you, God, for your blessing. And then after a while, it just kind of turns normal again, and then we go back into the doing our own thing, and living our own ways, and serving other gods, and having other, and then and then we, we get turned over to the enemy again. What happens? Anxiety rises up, right? We get into a fight with our spouse. Our kids hate us. All these things go on. And then, and then we have to go back to God. That was, that's me, dude. That's me coming to the Lord. Ugh, defeated. Because I'm, I'm, I really start just kind of falling away. Then I come back to God. It's just like this vicious circle, right? That's happened to me a lot. I don't know about you guys. I'm talking about me. In this psalm where God is saying, I don't want your sacrifices, it, the funny thing is that in the next psalm 51, it's a, it's a song of repentance. So first he's saying, I don't want your sacrifices, but then he's asked, I, I, he starts calling the people into repentance. Um, I want to show you how God's, the sacrifices that we bring, and this whole idea of the sacrifices being holy and, and separated to God, how if they're not, it doesn't mean anything. Really quickly, on in Acts 5, 1 through 11, you can, go, you can turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. It's the story of Ananias and his wife. Ananias was a disciple, all right? He was, he was around when the day of Pentecost had come. You guys remember the day of Pentecost, right, when the Holy Spirit fell and people started receiving gift of tongues and the Spirit moved amongst the people. Well, Ananias and his wife, after this whole thing happened, they, uh, they were giving an offering, Okay. What happened is the Spirit was moving in the midst of all the people. The people were moving under the power of the Holy Spirit together. And they started just living, giving each other. It was a body. It was a family. Guys, this is what, this is the idea that this church has. This right here is a family. I've, I don't know if I've, I've said this up here before, but I'll say this. Sometimes this family is closer than some of my family that don't even know the Lord. Why? What do I say? Isn't is that harsh. That's not harsh. You know why? Because I know one thing, if you guys are truly seeking the Lord and we're here together and we're offering up a a sacrifice that's holy and set apart to God, I'm going to see you in heaven. I hope I see all my family in heaven, my blood and everybody in this place. But if this is, if my, if I'm looking at you and I'm going to be seeing you, Kathy, for the rest of my life in heaven, in eternity, you better believe that I'm going to start now. Because if we have issues here in eternity... That that it, it just doesn't it doesn't come together like that. Being a body, being a family means that we're a body and a family here now. That's why this church isn't just coming here on Sundays. That was my problem before. That was my false idea before. It's different. So the day of Pentecost came, Ananias and his wife came and they offered a sacri- uh, an offering. They was they gave money. They, but what happens is what they gave wasn't wasn't everything they actually held back some stuff for themselves so in the bible it describes that they were they actually lied to the holy spirit because why because the spirit was moving in the midst of the people so they weren't lying to the people when they didn't give what they really could have given they were lying to the people and they were lying to the holy spirit because the spirit was the one that was moving in that place so so what happened to them well they dropped dead their sacrifice was unholy it was deformed. It was, un- it was blemished. God didn't want that sacrifice. God takes it seriously. It just didn't happen in the Old Testament. It happened in the New Testament too, guys. Our, you know what? Thank God that he's merciful enough that nobody's dropped dead in this place, hopefully. Maybe that means that we're offering good sacrifices. But I can guarantee you this, that the sacrifices that, when you, that you offer here, when you come here, if it isn't holy, maybe that says something. Maybe that's why you're still defeated. Maybe that's why you still struggle with peace. Maybe that's why you still struggle with anxiety. Maybe that's why you're still confused. Mm, It's going to get good. (laughs) It's going to get good. Leviticus 9. Aaron had two sons. And in Leviticus 9 is the picture of the first... Don't you have to put the tabernacle. The first time they were going to do a ceremonial offering together as a body. The body of Christ. They were going to go and actually do this whole ceremony the tabernacle was done, the people came together, and they were, uh, they were ready to offer their sacrifices, they were ready to see the uh, presence of God fall, and, and be in the midst of that, right? And Aaron and his sons start preparing everything. Now, mind you, the priests are the only ones that were able to go into the holy and holy of holies. Not anymore, right? Because of Jesus. Jesus broke that veil, right? Amen. So we can come into the Holy of Holies. We don't need a priest, somebody before us to do that. He gave us that opportunity right now. But check this. In in Leviticus 9, it talks about how they prepared everything. But something happened from Leviticus 9 to Leviticus 10. Leviticus 9, Aaron prepared everything. He he offered the sacrifices. Everything seemed to go great. The presence of God fell. And in Leviticus 10, his two sons that were part of the priesthood came with him. They were helping him out. Okay? Check this out. They were in the presence of God. They were helping Aaron out, the high priest, offer up the sacrifices. It seemed good. It seemed like the offering that they were giving, the work that they were doing, was great unto God. Amen? But something happened. What happened is that his two sons said, Hey, check it. You know what? Our our father, Aaron, apparently he's doing all these things and he has the power to. To come into the Holy of Holies, offer these sacrifices, you know what, maybe we can offer our own sacrifices to the Lord right now. If if, if my dad could do it, I can do it too. Woo! So he, they, why not, right? It makes sense. But what happened is that when they came to offer up the sacrifices, God consumed them and they died. What? They, they God killed them for the sacrifice they offered. Why? Because it wasn't, it wasn't holy and, and separated. I'm going to take you there. Let's go. Leviticus. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Leviticus 10 1 through 3. Here it is. Then I got it right here. Then Nabad and Abihu, those are the two sons, sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it in it. Put his put sense, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. And you know what, you know what it says right there after this? It says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Whatever they offered, I don't know what it was. I don't know what they offered God, but whatever it was, I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. They weren't glor- First of all, they weren't glorifying God with what they gave. And they weren't, and it wasn't holy. Why? They weren't trying to give a sacrifice that was holy. They were just trying to imitate what their dad did. Ooh, come on. Are you guys trying to imitate somebody else's blessing? Oh, come on. Are you trying to imitate what you see in somebody else? Are you trying to receive what God wants to give you? How do you do that? If we're just trying to stand, if I'm trying to stand up here with my guitar, and I'm looking at Hillsong, and I'm trying to imitate what Hillsong does and look like Hillsong and and work and live under the the anointing of Hillsong or Jesus culture. But God hasn't blessed me with that. God hasn't anointed me in that way. If I'm trying to scream, shout, and 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 create this ambiance of worship, but the truth is, God didn't give me that anointing. What I'm giving to Him isn't holy and isn't glorifying Him. Guys, you got to function in the in, in the anointing that God is calling you out into. The glory that he wants to see come out of you. The only way that comes out is when you seek the Lord, when you worship God with a real sacrifice, with a holy sacrifice. I need somebody to say amen in here. All right, good, good. I just need one amen. That's it. No, you guys are good. <laughs> you guys can make noise. Look at, listen, I'll stop right now. If you just want to start jumping, let's do that. I don't care because this is what church is, man. Guys, we're going to start learning what worship is. But before we go, why am I saying all this stuff? It, it seems like I'm not even talking about worship yet. It's, it's kind of true. I'm not really talking about worship yet. I'm not. But the reason I'm not getting into worship right now is because there has, something has to happen before we worship. The lady with the flow of blood, the, uh, the man who was taken down by the roof, the, uh, the, the, the prostitute that was slain before Jesus' feet in front of the Pharisees that I had mentioned that kissed his feet and, and wiped her, his feet with her tears and, and, and wiped them with, with her hair, hair of her head, that was worship. She actually satisfied everything in that moment. Everything was satisfied. Everything that God expects to be holy and satisfied was satisfied in that moment. But if you're not doing that, God is asking something from us. And you're going to and you, and find out why those things were offered, that those things that those people offered, why that was worship. Why? Why so instant? Why, why do some of us still struggle with worship? Something else we haven't done or something else we struggle with is repentance. Sometimes, uh, you know, me before, years ago actually, I, I, this is, this is what I did. Repent, uh, when we talk about repentance, you know, how it, uh, a lot of us try to change things, uh, the way we do things when we come to the Lord. And that's good, that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want to change the way you are, right? But God changes you, right? That this is what we speak of. God actually changes us. But when it talks about repentance, and you see this in Matthew 3, 2, just for reference, you guys can write this down. That's when John the Baptist was standing before the people and he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You guys know that? Amen? Yes? Yes, so John came and he said, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." But when he said repent, he didn't say change what you're doing. He said change how you think. That's what repent means. I know a lot of you guys know this. Maybe this is just fundamental, but you know what? For for maybe a couple years of my life, I didn't know that. I didn't have that idea in my head. I kept trying to change what I was doing. And then I said to myself, well, maybe God's going to change. Well, God will change me because if I'm not listening to this music anymore, if I'm not, if, if I'm going to church every day of the week, if, uh, if now maybe I'm, I'm just being more responsible. And it never worked out. Never worked out. I always failed, constantly, constantly. And God kept, I never got the idea of repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think. Well, wait a second, isn't this a spirit thing? Doesn't, doesn't God move in our hearts? Isn't our heart changed when we come to the Lord? Well, oh, when we believe. Yes, the Spirit of God enters us. But if you don't change the way you think, you're going to still live in defeat. What's repentance? The power of God is always there. Well, what's repentance? Repentance is when you come to the Lord, you start thinking differently. If, if the woman, that, if the process that came before the Lord did, hadn't changed the way she thought at that moment, She wouldn't have changed she would have gone back and done the same sin but because she was so broken before she came to the Lord her mind was already changed she says I can't live this life anymore this life isn't giving me anything but I've seen a man I've seen a man that walks that has power I've seen a man that walks and heals people if that man if I can just get close to that man if I can just be in his presence excuse me (laughs) If I can just be in his presence, in the presence of that man, something in me is going to change. She already had that going on inside of her. Romans 12, 2 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's proof that repentance means you change your mind. It's transformed. I've had an experience with a brother these last couple of days and this is one of the reasons why I talk about being poured out and how we want to pour ourselves out when when we're worshiping God we're not looking to be hidden anymore when God when God has prepared us in worship all of a sudden we have this thirst this desire to be poured out as an offering Ooh, come on I I just thought about that and I've been wanting to pour into people some people probably are, are trying to hide from me when I'm calling them and acting like a crazy man but I'm calling people when I'm and sometimes I have to stop myself because maybe I'm coming off too strong, but the spirit inside of me is, is giving me such urgency that I'm hoping that if these people are willing to receive just one thing that I say, I know their lives will change. Not because of what I, ha- what I am, I'm nothing, but because of what the worship that's going on inside of me, I, I think that if they just would listen, open their minds up to one thing I have to say, that's going to be so powerful that they're going to change. They're going to change the way they think. They're going to repent, and when they repent, they'll be ready to worship God. Amen? So before we even worship, we, we should be in a state of repentance. We should examine ourselves. That's what Romans 12.2 says, and, and Rego actually shared Romans 12 last, uh, last week, 12.1 and 12.2. And, and then I talked about this. I said, well, I'm going to talk about this. It says uh, we have to take up our thoughts, and it makes you uneasy. What I'm saying is, When we examine ourselves, we think about those things that are bothering us sometimes. So examining, changing the way you think isn't just, okay, well, I do this different. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. No, it's, it's saying, you know what? We start going into ourselves. We dig a little deeper into who we really are, into what our intentions really are. We start learning about why we don't like that person so much. Ooh. We start thinking about when we come to church and that person that we just don't really get along with. Why it bothers us. Sometimes, you know what we try to do? We try to brush it off and act act, when we come to church. Act like it's okay. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But we don't examine that. We don't change the way we think. Come on. I know you guys know this. When you come and you have something that is just not right, you can't really connect. You don't really relate. You don't really like the way they talk, the way they breathe. You don't like anything. You have a problem with the way Regal, uh, Regal's vein pops out in his forehead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You start looking at little things. But you don't change the way you think. All you do is you try to cover it up. You try to brush it up, right? Makeup, a little makeup. They won't see it. Just a little makeup. They won't see that. But what happens? Then you're not repenting. Then we don't give ourselves an opportunity for God to speak to us and show us what real repentance is. Hmm. So we have anxieties. You know, I heard this. Anxiety. Anxiety is pride. When we have anxiety in our lives, if we struggle with anxiety, you no, know, God, you guys can be men and women of God. Amen. But that's an area of your life that you haven't given over to God. Because you're still prideful in that area. There's, that's arrogant. Why? What does, ar- what does anxiety tell you? You're thinking, dude, what do you mean? When I'm, anx- when I'm anxious, I need help. Right? All right. No. No, yes, you need help. But <laughs> I'm saying when you're anxious, you're actually saying that God can't help you. You're actually saying, you know what? I have to find a way through this. I'm too worried. There's too many things going on. Tito, don't you see? Dude, relax. I'm too anxious. I can't handle that right now. God is saying, well, where am I? Where am I here? Your anxiety is actually saying that you, you don't need me. You keep trying to do it on your own, it's arrogance. What does the Bible say about anxious anxiety? Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You want to turn there? Turn there if you want. I'm just going to read it to you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in every... This is one of my favorite verses. That's why I can just recite it to you. I don't, I don't know a lot of the Bible in the memory yet, memorized, but this one I do know. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplications let your requests be made known to God so that the peace of God Oh, no, I forgot it. So Who wants to read it? Somebody grab it. Read it. Uh-huh. There it is. <laughs> the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. This is repentance, guys. This is giving your anxieties up to God. This is faith. This is worship. Galatians 5.19. That I want to go to. Let's go to Galatians 5.19. I guess everybody has uh, iPhones nowadays. (laughs) Galatians 5.19. Here we go. Worship is your time with God through sacrifice pronouncing uh, pronouncing worth to God. And this is what I want to go into now. We're going to talk about something that I really want to get into. I'm going to be starting to... To bring things down to a, bring it together now. And it's in 5, what did I say, verse 19. And it's this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness. It's going to keep going. Revelries, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're supposed to give worth to God when we worship God. It's giving worth to God, but how do we give worth to God when we're stuck in things that don't allow us to to proclaim that worth? if we're stuck in our anxieties, if we're stuck in our sin, if we're stuck in things that don't allow us to move into that worship, into that life-giving sacrifice, then we can't proclaim the worth of God. We have a problem to do that if, if we're stuck in the things that try to keep us bound. Matthew 25, 24 through 30. Matthew 25, 24 through 30. I want to talk about worth. I just mentioned it. And uh, I'm going to finish with this story. It's going to give me, give me a minute. I'm not saying I'm done, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you this story. And you guys, uh, I think this is going to be the meat, I would say, of what I wanted to say today and what, where we're trying to come to. We, talk, we spoke about sacrifice. We spoke about repentance. We spoke about God making Uh, worship inconvenient for us because if we're thirsty enough, if we hunger and we want to worship God, there's going to be worship when we can come to him out of the secret place and glorify him in our brokenness. We spoke about that. But I want to talk to you about this in Matthew. Matthew 25, 24 through 30, it says, it's the parable of the talents. It says, then... He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Before I even go there, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the parable real quickly. Okay, a man uh, who had three servants went away and gave each one of those servants a portion of talents. Um, Talents were money, uh, you know, just coins. And he asked them to do something with those talents as he went away and that he would come back. But he was gone for some time. Um, and when he came back, he asked them what they did with their talents. What he did, what they did with what he had given them. And then in verse 24, he's come back. And uh, all, the first two, he gave some talents to, he gave one. certain, And then they actually made a profit of what they gave, of what he gave them. And then the last one, which is verse 24, it says this. Then he who had received one talent so the other ones received more but this one only received one came and said lord i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed ooh let me stop there i want to say something so the bible said this book kind of i was struggling with this because the man was saying that his lord his lord the man the the, the man who was lord over them um Reaped where they had, where he has not sown. Uh, what else to say? And and gathered where you have not scattered seed. So he was telling that lo- his lord. He was saying, "I knew you to be an unjust man." That's what he was saying to his lord. You, I knew you to be a a difficult, harsh man, someone that isn't just, someone that will do. No- anything they want to do no matter what I do okay so I was like wow he's calling him harsh and I know I was kind of relating this to the Lord so I had a hard time with it I was like how is how is it that he's calling him harsh because later on I'm going to show you it was weird the way the Lord responded and then he calls and then I found something else I said wow he is kind of harsh because he's calling this servant lazy and wicked for something that didn't seem so significant right he had one talent, and he didn't throw it away. He didn't throw the talent away because he just said, well, it's just one talent. He didn't do that. He kept it, and he actually saved it. He hid it. So I'm thinking, why the Lord? This Lord does seem kind of harsh. Why is he telling the servant that that he was lazy and wicked? didn't make sense to me. So I'm thinking, wow, this is blowing my mind right now. But then... I looked into the verse a little further and I and I I had to ask Rio, because I I never really studied Greek or or Hebrew but it opened my eyes so much when I did because I understand and I found the answer to this It says uh and then in verse 25 it says and I was afraid and when I and I went and I hid the talent in the ground look there you have what is yours he says look look I have what you gave me you know here The problem is is that the uh Verse 24, when it says to reap, I just wanted to add this. When it says to reap, the servant, is it's, it means to cut down. So it's saying uh, he knew the Lord, which he called harsh, to be somebody who just cut things down and took things without even worrying about it. He took what was good and bad. He just took it all. So he also felt that, he, that the Lord didn't really find worth in what, what uh, was given back to him. He just kind of took anything. He was a harsh man. He took what you could give him. It doesn't matter. A greedy man. That's what he was trying to say. And then I, I really looked into the words that were said in verse 24. And the servant said that he knew the Lord. I knew you to be a harsh man, right? But the word that he used in that, in that word, knew, the servant actually said that he knew the Lord intimately. That's what that word means. It means "gnosko." Gnosko is the word that's used in the old translation. Uh, the old translation, it's translated into something that's intimate when you really know somebody, like I know my wife, or when you know a really close friend that you know their deepest parts, right? That's what the That's what the servant said. The servant said, "I knew you to be a harsh man." Problem is that in verse twenty-six. Check this out. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I, that I reap where I have not sown. Wait a second. The Lord is actually admitting that he reaps where he, he doesn't sow? That's what killed me. I was like, so he's saying he's harsh? So is God saying that he's harsh to us? doesn't matter. I'm harsh. I'm who I am. You got to accept me? Hold on. No, that's not what he's saying. When you look into the word no in verse 26, it's different. Check this out. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown. The word he used there was not the same word that the servant used. The, se- the servant used the word know as being something intimate. The Lord used the, wo- the word the Lord the word the uh know as something uh, read it right here. Not as something that's intimate. But that's something that he perceived with his eyes. Oof. The servant, the Lord was telling the servant, You said you knew me to be intimate. You said you knew me intimately, and that's why you did what you did. But you didn't know me intimately. You only knowed what you've seen, you only knew what you perceived. Do we know God intimately or? Are we doing things because we perceive him as being somebody? So, so it makes sense to me why the servant actually hid the talent. It makes sense to me now when I think about it. He thought he knew him. And he said, I'm just going to hide it because he takes whatever. And he said, well, at least what I give him, I'm just going to give him back what he gave me. But the, the, in doing so, the servant didn't give worth i'm going to prove it to you check this out in verse 27 what does the lord say first he says you didn't know me like you thought you knew me now he says in verse 27 so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and that and at my coming i would have received back my own with interest why is he telling them give it to the bankers i didn't even know there was bankers back then (laughs) why why did he say give it to the bankers because the bankers a banker naturally is any bankers here Any bankers? No bankers? Wow. A banker naturally will find worth in something that's given to them. Come on. A banker will find worth in something that's given to them. He didn't find any worth and that the uh, Lord is telling him, you should have given it to the bankers. They would have found something. They would have done something with this talent. They would, have, they would have made some profit off of it. So if you thought I was so harsh, because you say you know me, and if you know me so well, and you thought I was this harsh man, then why didn't you at least give it to the bankers if you knew I was harsh and I was going to come back and I was going to look for something, then if you really knew that, if you really felt that way, then you would have done something with it anyway. Whoa. You would have given it to the bankers. If you know I'm looking for something, then you would have given it to somebody else. If you thought you couldn't do nothing with it, at least somebody else could have. Mm. I would have come back and I would have received back my own with interest. He's looking for some interest in here. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. I wonder why, first of all, it came through my mind. I wonder why the Lord only gave him one talent in the beginning, to begin with. Why only one? He didn't even, he didn't even know how to do something with one talent. That's probably why. Why? Because you can be faithful with the small. Some of you want something big in your life, some, but you're not ready to receive it. Because you're not going to know what to do with it when it comes to you. So at times we treat the presence of God this way. We, we, we sometimes treat the presence of God and worship like the culture of our day right now how's the culture man culture just temporary temporarily looks for things to 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 please them and we treat the presence of we're so conditioned we're so conditioned with with how this culture is conditioning us and how we're being shaped by this culture instead of shaping this culture with what god has given us we need to introduce our faith to the culture We, we we don't want to introduce the culture into this cuz it's all temporary cuz we seek something just for now we come we come to church on sundays not i'm not i know a lot of people don't do that here, but a lot of times people come to church on sunday cuz they're waiting to receive something when they go out there they're just going to be destroyed again they're just going to go back to their temporary lives and then they're going to come for another temporary fix and it, and god doesn't really move in that and then you don't see power in the in what god has to give you cuz you're you're just bringing in your own idea and your own culture into this church let's not do that Let's bring worship into the church. I'm ready to bring worship into this church. He handed us potential. He gave us something and he says, there's potential in what I gave you. What? Do you guys know what potential energy is? In, in, in the law, laws of physics, potential energy is energy that something actually has, but that is not actually being used. So there's potential in something being used, but it's actually not being used. It's rest so God is giving us potential energy but nothing happens with this potential unless it's acted upon check this out potential energy the energy possessed by a body by virtue of its position come on of its position relative to others virtue the virtue of its position in relative to others we have potential in this place. We have potential before God. But first, if we don't have God moving inside of us, it does nothing. It's just potential. If we're not moving in the body together, it's just potential. We're standing here next to each other, and we're not even moving. And God is saying, dude, you got to bump yourself up against somebody right now. Because when you do, there's going to be a reaction. And that potential energy is going to turn into kinetic energy. And when kinetic energy moves, it grows and it expands. And guess what? Boom! The earth was created. The heavens were created. Stars, the heavens that we know, darkness turns into light. Potential energy moved, turns into kinetic energy, and something moves around us. Something moves in this place. Guys, I want us to, I want to, I want to encourage you guys. Because once that kinetic energy moves in here, I'm not talking about physical laws anymore. All of a sudden, this physics that we talk about, that I'm using to compare the world of the spirit compared to the world that we live in, it's no longer common. Because once there's a move of the spirit in here, we're not just talking about physics anymore. Now we're talking about the spirit of God moving in this place. So we're not talking about kinetic energy anymore. Now we're talking about the move of the spirit. We're talking about something spiritual. We're talking about the fruits of the spirit being manifest amongst us. Now we're not living in in common law anymore. We don't need that. We don't need common law. We might use it as as an example, but there's something greater. We got to stop living a defective and deformed lifestyle with good intentions. Ooh, come on. We have to stop living a moral life without the spirit. It doesn't mean anything. Stop living out your your morality with no power or purpose. If there's no purpose in your morality, there's no God. Stop living a life of chaos and deception and calling it blessed. Come on. If it's so blessed, then where is your rest? Where are you restful in Jesus if there is worship? I want to leave you with something that I want you to sound an alarm. I want you to say amen to. This is going to break us down. This is breaking us down. It broke me down. But I want to do it because we need to be broken if we're going to worship, guys. We need to be broken if we're going to worship. He wants us to see the worth in what he's given us. You know why what we give to God is worth anything? I spoke about how he doesn't want our sacrifices. You know why? Because what the other, people, what the other uh, servants gave to God, you know what they gave to him? They gave back what he gave Him them with profit. What did God give you? The only reason you have what God has given you is of any worth is because what you give is not of your own. He's not interested in you. He's interested in what he gave you to give back to him. Come on. The worth that you have is what he gave you, is what dwells inside of you, is the spirit that moves in you, is the presence that's before you. Without that, it's worthless. So when is the Lord satisfied with our worship it's when what he's given us, we give worth. We find worth in what he's given us. And it moves us so much that we have to give it back to him with profit. Salvation, love, mercy. Has he healed you from sin? Has he healed you? Who here has been healed from a disease? Who here has, has had their family restored because they came to the Lord? Who here struggled with addiction and now is freed? What has he given you? What is worth His praise. What is worth the worship that he deserves? He gave it to you already. All you got to do is give it back to him. Surrender your life to the Lord. Surrender and worship God with what he's given you. The moment you do that, you're going to find something happen in your life. Amen. Let's stand right now. Many people in the Bible obtained worship in an instant. And we can have that same experience in this place, but we have to stop coming here thinking that we have something outside of the Lord. We have to stop coming here thinking that what we have is good enough without without using what he's given us first. We have to give back to God what he gave us in worship. Each instance, the people that didn't even know God worshiped God because they just put their selves on the ground. They just humbled themselves to the point that there was nothing that was going to get in the way. There was no embarrassment. There was no humility. There was no experience. Nobody in front of them that was going to stop them from prostrating themselves before the Lord and saying, you know what, God, here's my life. I don't have nothing to give, but if you give me something, if you give me something, I can worship you. Amen. Let's come up here. Let's, guys, I want us to come to the Lord now and worship. I want us to worship God. We didn't worship, I mean, we, 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 we did a song. But the reason I want to start is because I want us to start this week offering up something that God has given us so that we can enter worship. I'm planning, this word that, that we began being stretched for worship is going to be something that we're going to continue, I'm expecting next week. And it's not going to be this word of trying to get into worship or what we need to give. It's going to be what happens when we're in it. And I want us to start now. Because if we know now that we can come to God and we can give our lives, we can repent to him by changing the way we think, and we can come and we can sacrifice something that he gave us, his body, his life, so that our lives could be a sacrifice given to him. When we can do that, something's going to happen in this place, guys. I know that this isn't just going to be us standing around here and it's going to be quiet anymore because I think something happens when the presence of God falls. Amen? We bring the presence in this place. Amen? I want to I wanna spend some time worshiping God. I want us to get excited right now. Because, listen, God is here already, man. Forget about it. God is here because God is faithful. God never keeps himself from his people. He never waits for you to give something. He's already there. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to give. Let's give something to him before we leave today. We gave something in the beginning. Let's give more now. Now that we know a little more. Now we know that we know a little more, more about what worship can look like, let's do it. Amen? Amen.